Yesterday we finally got to interview our first um, fields medalist, Cedric Villani. And um, this podcast contains the full unedited version of this interview, um, which in places does get a little bit technical because he's explaining um, a lot about his work, which isn't easy to grasp. But um, it's not too bad. So if you're interested, um, just hang in there and it gets personal again at the end. <laughs> um, and as soon as we have some time, we'll put up a more polished and edited version with more explanations. Um, so here we go, Cedric Villani. So first of all, tell me how you felt when you found out that you got the Fields Medal. Okay, so first I have to confess a secret. I learned it uh, back in uh, spring, uh, that was months ago. I received a phone call, I was totally thrilled. I hoped so, of course, but uh, mm, did not give myself more than 40% chance or something like this. So this was real thrill. However, to tell the truth, I remained a bit concerned for a few days that it could be a hoax. <laughs> <laughs> so and I waited for a confirmation. And you didn't tell anyone apart from your wife, you told us earlier. I told nobody apart from my wife. Okay, which is what you get. And uh, yes, you have to keep it secret. Uh, there are some leaks progressively, but not so much. Okay, so um, let's turn to the work that you got the Fields Medal for. Um, so as you know, we're writing for, an, uh, for a magazine that is really aimed at the general public, right? So if you take the concept of entropy, which is what your work is largely about, how would you explain that to somebody who hasn't heard about it before? Oh, entropy. Let me give you a first. Uh, entropy often is said to be disorder. That is not bad as a definition. More precise thing is entropy is the uncertainty then remains after you observe something. So when I am observing you, I can't know all the states of all the molecules composing you. But uh, I get some information which is like macroscopic. All the microscopic information remains hidden. That amount which is hidden, uh, you call the entropy. Technically, it's the logarithm of the volume or number of microscopic states that remain possible after you, you know the macroscopic state. Mm -hmm. This is a very general, very powerful definition, was imagined by Boltzmann. Mm -hmm. And uh, Boltzmann was actually looking at uh, um, particles of gas and the way they would behave when you release them into a room. And he came up with the idea that entropy should be, well, would never be decreasing, it would never get less. Can you explain that a little further? So, Boltzmann knew about the second law of thermodynamics, which was uh, from before like Carnot or the people. And that law, dis uh, can you just say what the law says? And the law says that entropy for a closed system can only go up and never down. Mm -hmm. However, so, so it doesn't get simpler, the system wouldn't become... Uh, the system, on the contrary, the system becomes more and more simple with more and more disorder. This sounds a bit strange, but think that it's very complicated to have something very ordered. Order is complicated. Order means a lot of information. And now, however, the notion of entropy from that time was a mechanical notion of entropy. And it was not the statistical notion which I just described. Boltzmann introduced the statistical notion and made the connection with that mechanical notion of entropy. And he wanted, right from the beginning, to establish the law of thermodynamics as a theorem, not as a law, as something that you can explain, that you can argue about. And that you can prove? That you can prove. Not something that is given by God, 
but something that you can convince people. Mm -hmm. That was really a noble achievement, mm -hmm. a mathematician's uh, way of thinking. And can we just, just to explain, some people might be surprised by thinking of something ordered as something complicated. Um, can you give an example of why that should be more complicated than a disordered state? Okay, first it's more complicated to prepare. It's uh, also, it is more rare, let's say. Uh, something which has very, okay, on the other hand, oops. Yeah, we're just picking up some nibbles. No, thanks very much. <laughs> it's all right, slowly, slowly. <laughs> okay. Well, to come back to your question, to say that something is complicated or not actually is, is not very well defined. One should be more precise. For instance, you can ask whether something has been complicated to prepare or whether the output will be complicated and it goes in exactly the opposite uh, way. Okay. What, let us say that the more time goes, the less you have uh, access to the information, for instance. In like, which sense? Okay. Take a, take a system, a box, and you put uh, all your gas in a tiny corner of the box. Okay? This is very ordered. And you know where it is. It's complicated to prepare, but it's very ordered. And there is very little uncertainty left. And if you make just one observation, you'll know where all the particles are. But then, later, the gas fills the whole box. And it is everywhere random. So you don't know where the gas is. And with one observation about one particle of gas, you will not be able to infer anything about the other particles. So this is very disordered, if you want. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so in that sense, there is an almost con like opposing ideas of order and disorder, because order might be easy to describe, but it might be very complicated to create. Yes, so. one always has to specify what action you are taking. Okay, so if we go back to uh, where we left off before, Boltzmann um, described, well, developed this uh, law of entropy about it being increasing in a statistical sense. Um, so how does your work relate to that? What did you do? Oh, so a lot of my work, I have to say, um, depends on entropy. In particular, on the Boltzmann equation, I studied the entropy production rate. So how fast it increases? Yes. So if I tell you it increases by uh, 5%, oh, it's not interesting. What's interesting is to uncover the mathematical mechanisms behind. So I found, for instance, that there is relation between this rate and between certain uh, fields of mathematics that are called, that arise in probability theory, information theory, even elasticity theory in some unexpected way. The inequality was the same even though the physics was completely different. Mm -hmm. Finding connections that people don't expect is, I think, what I am good at. Mm -hmm. So um, basically your contribution was to bring together these disparate strands and to recognize similarities. I, I think it was rather to grab a few tools from these various domains and incorporate this in a big proof of uh, quantitative estimates of how the entropy grows. Mm -hmm. And um, can you, the, the estimates of, the en of how it grows, um, uh, is that easy to, to describe? I mean, at what rate? Can you describe the rate in a way that people might have heard of, using terms that people might have heard of, or is it quite a complicated thing? Uh, this is a real complicated thing. However, let's say that there is marriage between two different worlds. 
information theoretic and fluid mechanics. Both aspects are present in Boltzmann equation. Think of a gas, think of a particle system too with entropy. And one important step is that the, if you are far away from the thermodynamical equilibrium, thermodynamical equilibrium or hydrodynamic equilibrium. Hydrodynamic equilibrium is when at each position you have a Gaussian velocity distribution. Right. Like the bell curve, you know, of the, for the velocities. Okay. If you are far from this, then you will have a lot of entropy production. This is uh, something which is uh, an estimate which is related to information theory and is a bit like the fact that entropy increases in the central limit theorem, which is one beautiful way to prove the central limit theorem. And uh, another important thing is that uh, uh, there is a fluid mechanics effect. So if you are hydrodynamic, but you are not homogeneous, then you will depart from the hydrodynamic state. There is an instability of the hydrodynamic uh, approximation which uh, is consistent with physics because it's not the same as the uh, hydrodynamic approximation and uh, which you can marry with this information theoretic effect I was uh, mm -hmm. talking about. Okay, just to go back a bit, <laughs> um, when you mentioned an equilibrium before, um, I think the general idea as I understand it is that um, entropy will increase until it reaches a peak, like a maximum, yes. and at that point you have an equilibrium point. So, for example, when the gas particles are all over distributed in a room, you are at an equilibrium of maximum entropy. Right? E equilibrium of maximum entropy, that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Now, the gas should be all over the room and the velocity distribution should be Gaussian. Um, so did you just say that the further you are away from the equilibrium, the faster the production of the entropy? Did yes. Did you just say that? Okay. Yes. So that was one of the things that you proved in your work by bringing together different concepts. Yes, that's the, that's the key step. Actually, it's mm -hmm. more subtle because there is this degeneracy due to the hydrodynamic approximation. But if you, at least if you forget that that's one key, that's one key element, yes. Was, was it surprising that, was it surprising to you that uh, your work in, I mean, I sort of have always thought of entropy and Boltzmann equation instead of in statistical physics. Was it surprising to you that it linked to this area of probability of the central limit theorem, or is that something that those links are something that mathematicians had been aware of for a long time? This was not very surprising to me. It is, uh, it was rather known. From, for instance, the work of Mark Katz in the 50s and uh, um, McKean later in the 60s, um, Eric Carlin in the beginning 90s. I was taking up these ideas, but somehow I could find an elegant way to put all together. Much more surprising to me was appearance of entropy in other problems that seem completely unrelated. For instance, together with my collaborators, Felix Otto from Germany, and later John Lott from uh, the States, we found that relations between entropy and curvature, like curvature you find in Romanian geometry, Ricci curvature more precisely, and the Boltzmann entropy was here, there. I did not expect this at all. And I think it was in your, in your work with Otto that you made contributions to a subject that people will find much less esoteric, which is the optimal transport problems. Is that right? Yes, I will make uh, an explanation in the following sense. Okay, so let me 
describe what it means, the curvature. Curve, there are several curvatures. Let us talk about the Ricci curvature, which is the one that is useful in general relativity. You heard from newspapers or radio that the light is curved by, uh, in general relativity, light is curved by distribution of mass. And you ask whether the light rays have a tendency to be closer than they should be or to spread apart faster than they should be, okay? So there is a distortion. When you look at the star, if you always overestimate its size because of the distortion, this means you live in a world that is positively curved. Okay? Now, this is in terms of optics, if you want. And now let me give you an experiment that would work with statistical mechanics. I call it the lazy gas experiment. So, here is your gas. And the gas is in a certain configuration at the beginning. There is density, so maybe it's in half of the box of, the, of your world, and uh, positive densities, negative densities, uh, not negative densities, but uh, very low densities, very high densities. Thing. At initial time, it's like this. And now you tell your gas that you want him to go and uh, obtain a different position that you specify, different configuration that you specify at time t equal 1. You tell him to do so. Let's say the gas is, uh, is masculine because he's lazy, okay? This will please to the girls. So your gas is going and uh, he will obey, so it has to change configuration in one minute. He will do so, but uh, in a very lazy way, so spending the minimum amount of work. There is where the minimal, optimal transport comes. And now you measure the entropy of the gas, second after second, and you look at the curve. If the curve is a concave function of time, if at uh, mid-time it is higher than the mid-value between final and initial time of the entropy, and if it is always so, whatever the conditions, it means you live in a world that is positively curved. So you see here how you have this geometric translation, geometric uh, concept translated in statistical meanings. Okay, well that's fascinating. <laughs> um, what are you going to do next? What are, what, what are your next big problems that you're working on at the moment? I'm not sure what will be the next big problem. Currently there are a number of problems in my head, a big number. Some of them related to astrophysics, some of them related to curvature, some of them related to Boltzmann equations, some of them related to hydrodynamic limits of particle systems. Uh, there's plenty. There's plenty. And do you think that, um, I mean, one thing that's become very, very clear at this conference, that a lot of the people who are very good, including you, are very, very good at bringing together tools from different parts of mathematics. Do you think that this is essential to being a very good mathematician, to have that ability? I think there are many different styles of uh, mathematicians. I think I am pretty good to bring uh, concepts from various uh, domains of uh, mathematics, yes, although I don't understand the world of algebra, at least for the moment. <laughs> but uh, I like to think that this is very useful, very, very useful, especially in the current time where one has tendency to specialize. Uh, however, there are some mathematicians who are certainly very specialized and very, very good. Okay, well, congratulations again. I don't know if Rachel had any more questions. 
I mean, do you think that we're talking to Tim Gowers, who uh, is a past winner of the Fields Medal, and he said that um, after he won the Fields Medal, he kind of felt two things. One thing he felt relieved because he was never going to have to worry about his publishing record or because you then have a status that you're, yes. you, you'll be safe in, in wherever you choose to work. But he said there was perhaps a feeling of pressure to continue producing work that was uh, recognised as much as that. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about receiving the Fields Medal and how do you think it will impact on your future career? Okay, let me answer sincerely. First, it is very big. This medal is a worldwide thing. Right now I'm giving uh, several interviews per day. I will be in radio programs, in newspapers, in France everywhere, in the TVs, everywhere. This is big. I did not really uh, fully uh, realize it. Okay. And uh, I think there is pressure that comes and new responsibilities, not only within mathematics, but also outside. Uh, you become an ambassador, lots of responsibilities, what you tell to... I'm meeting the president uh, next week and so on. Uh, I better be careful what I say, <laughs> okay? And uh, so, so, so it changed your life for sure. Uh, you are very much relieved, that's true. All of a sudden you are out of the system, you can do whatever you want. But also you have a pressure that is true to continue. Everybody will be spying on you, maybe watching. Now, for Gowers, uh, Gowers is very good at uh, writing books and uh, taking, undertaking large projects. I think anyway, this is uh, the outcome is kind of more more sure than when you're working on a very dangerous subject that you don't know if you will have the flash that will allow you to solve it. Maybe a combination of both is important. And anyway, it's a huge uh, service to society to, to write books, to undertake projects. Gowers has been uh, very influential with his big uh, polymath project. I personally, uh, uh, I'm not sure I, I have the right kind of mind for this kind of projects, for instance. But I find this experience very interesting. Somebody had to, had to do it. And Gowers is extremely good for these kind of things. So it's, I think society or mathematics society doesn't look only at what we will achieve, but also at your social role within mathematics. I wouldn't be so much worried uh, if I were Gowers. And um, just one final question. I mean, it's kind of a general question, but what does, what does mathematics mean to you? I mean, obviously it's your, it's your job, um, it's what you do, it's what you've achieved greatly in, but I know watching you speak about it, you seem to be incredibly passionate and it seems to be, there seems to be an element of playfulness in the way you speak about it. I mean, what, what does mathematics mean to you? Um, yeah. Uh, mathematics is part of me. It has changed my life, it is my uh, job, and uh, uh, I owe it some of the most intense experiences of my life. When you have worked on a problem for a long time, you find a solution, this is play, but this is much more. This is really a big reward. So for me, mathematics is a lot of things. It's a social activity too. With mathematics, I can encounter people. At the beginning, as a child, I was kind of a very a uh, shy child, uh, rather secret, and uh, mathematics has given me the language and the opportunity to communicate with many other people. It has been instrumental in opening me. 
So this is a lot of mathematics is a science and an art. We we work like artists. We have our tastes and there are the influences and there is a fashion in mathematics and a lot of this. So it's at the same time a science and an art and it is a social activity. For me, I can feel really the three these three aspects. Well, I think we have held you up enough from food and drinks. So thank you very much for talking to us and congratulations again. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Marianne.